All right, good morning, everybody. This morning we'll be in 2 Chronicles chapter 29. 2 Chronicles 29, if you'd like to turn there in your Bibles. If you don't own a Bible and you, or you do and you want to replace yours or buy a new one, let me know. We can, we can order pretty much anything. I don't know that our prices are any better than CBD, the bookstore or whatever, but um, we can get them wholesale. Um, with no markup or anything, so an $80 Bible ends up being 45 and things like that, leather and, and the whole thing. So if you're interested in one or you want to get one, let me know and you know, give me a, a description of it. Uh, I have a hard time when you tell me, I want something like this. Well, there's a lot of them out there. So why don't you search it out online, find out exactly the one you want, and I can see if we can get it for you through Calvary Distribution. Um, anyway, that's, that's available um, if you're interested in that. Um, today, Hezekiah, um, this chapter 29 is mirrored in 2 Kings uh, chapters 18 through 20. Okay, so uh, we're going to hit a lot of the same things we hit when we did 2 Kings. Um, this is the guy, this is the king uh, where the angel comes down and kills all the enemies of his, 183,000 and, and all. So you understand where we are in their history and who this guy is, um, a real, um, he just walked with the Lord and God was on his side. It wasn't a perfect reign, like where everybody had peace and nobody ever fought them. They had a lot of, a lot of conflict with the nations around them, but God was with them and, and watched out for them and protected them. And um, I identify with this guy like I do with Peter or any of those guys in the New Testament that kind of Love the Lord with all their heart and just wish they weren't as creepy as they were, you know, uh, most of the, or not most of the time, but a lot of the times. And Hezekiah does do what's right, and he's bold about it. Um, and the, the very first thing he does here in his first month, his first two weeks in office, is he just radically changes the country back to walking with the Lord, cleaning out what needs to be cleaned out, preparing, making ways, you know. And uh, it's what you do when you're born again. It's what you do when you're a lover of God, when a lover of Jesus. It's not a slow or gradual thing. It's a radical thing that takes place. Faith is radical. When you have that moment, when you trust in Jesus for your salvation, it absolutely changes you. And you don't see things the same way anymore. And you begin to see your life the way God sees it. You begin to change. Yeah. And that has to happen for every person. And so that's why I like this guy. He really shows what it's like uh, metaphorically as he cleans the house of God, what it's like for us to clean up our house. And then the, the sacrifice is needed. We're going to hit three of those sacrifices. One's the sin offering, just to get right with God. So you can even start the conversation with him. You have to have that sin offering. Then the sanctification offering, which is where you set yourself apart. You're consecrated to the Lord. You, you, you give your life to him. He gave his life for you. You accept that. That's your sin offering. You give your life back to him. That's a consecration. And then finally, the peace offering that happens afterwards. That's the third offering we'll hit today, where you have that fellowship with God. You talk with him as a friend, not as an adversary who's your judge. You know, uh, it's different. Okay, so verse 1. Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, or in 2 Kings I call her Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. Now David's not his dad, but his 
great-great-great-grandfather, and, um, but he was as good as David is the idea behind that. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Then he brought in the priests and the, and the Levites and gathered them in the east square. And he said to them, Hear me, Levites, now sanctify yourselves. Sanctify the house of the Lord your God of your fathers and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him, having turned their faces away from their dwelling place of the Lord and turned their backs on him. They have also shut up the doors of the vestibule, put out the lamps, and have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. Therefore the wrath of the Lord fell upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he has given them up to trouble, to desolation, and to jeering, uh, as you see with your eyes. For indeed, because of this, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons, our daughters, and our wives are in captivity." It's a good thing to have an honest evaluation of your life or of your country in this case, and that's what Hezekiah does. We're in this predicament. The things are in our country the way they are because of our spiritual decay. He doesn't come up with a worldly solution for this. He doesn't say, well, what we need is this, that, or the other thing that the world would offer, any other country would offer. He says, no, the first thing we have to do and the only thing we have to do is to get right with God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The problems we're having is not something that is a governmental fix. It's a, it's a heart change that needs to take place. We've shut up the doors of the temple, the sh- doors of the vestibule. We've, we've put out the lamps. We're no longer burning incense. There's no prayer offered anymore. The priests and the Levites are scattered everywhere. No one's doing what they're supposed to be doing. He says that all has to change, and it has to change now, immediately. It's the first thing he does when he comes into office. Boy, you know, begins to bring people back to God. That's that's what a leader does, leads people back to God. That's what a shepherd does. A shepherd brings, an under-shepherd brings them, brings the sheep and protects the sheep and watches out for them and sees what's really happening to them. It's not about this, that, or the other thing. It's about they're in the wrong pasture. They're not eating what they're supposed to be eating. And he sees that, and he has compassion on them. He doesn't have to do that. I mean, once you become king, you pretty much got it made. I think about that. I think about our congressmen and our senators and how hard it must be for them. And most of them have failed, I believe. Most have failed morally, in a sense. I think a lot of them, I remember that freshman class that went up a long time ago with Newt Gingrich, and um, it was a complete change of Congress. It was amazing, and they had this picture of like 100 new congressmen up there. These all first years, you know. No, not, not a lot of political experience behind them, you know, maybe dog catcher or something like that, and they get up there, and boy, they're idealistic, and they've got this ideas, and here's where they go, and boy, it didn't take them long. And boy, the, the herd got thinned out really quickly as they began to get into the trenches with what we call today the swamp or the, um, the, the muck and the mire of, of, of politics. And how they had better have their character and they better have their fists up the moment they walk in the doors of that place. They better be prepared and be, have an honest evaluation of what they're about to run into. And I don't think a lot of them did. And I remember the fall, and I remember them all changing their minds and saying, well, if I want this, i got to do this, and the compromises that have to take place and all these things. And 
how hard it is, you know, to step into a role like that and stay true, regardless of if you or your bill ever gets passed or if you ever sign on to something, or if you're constantly explaining yourself as to why you didn't vote for that because it had this, this, and this hidden in it, it was just eventually, there's no way to fix this unless I just compromise. And that's just the wrong way to go. Always, always the wrong way to go. Compromise is always, always the wrong way to go. And so I think about this King Hezekiah. As he steps in, could have eased his way into it, but he doesn't. First thing he does is says, we're opening those doors. Do you understand how many people that's going to make mad? How about this? We make the high places look really nice, and we also open up the doors of the temple. Kind of keep everybody, keep everybody happy. Keep all of your constituents happy, you know. I'm not interested in that part of the constituency. <laughs> that's not what I'm here for. I'm here for God. I'm here to serve the Lord. I'm here to do what he calls me to do. I'm a king because he made me a king. I'm here to do what he wants to do. And our problems are spiritual, you know. And so he steps right into this office and begins to change it. Open those doors. Get the priests and the Levites back here. I've got to talk to them. Hear me, Levites. Now, this is not the king's job to tell the Levites what they should be doing. And I don't know that that's what he's doing, but he's giving them permission, in a sense. Let's get back to doing what you're supposed to be doing. I want you back here. I want you doing what you're supposed to do. Hear me, Levites. Hear me. Sanctify yourselves. Sanctify the house of the Lord your gods and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. Get rid of that stuff. And in my life and in our lives, that's a, that's, those are the steps you got to set yourself apart. You know, if you're in a hole, the first thing you got to do, you got to stop digging, you know. Sanctify yourselves. Stop sinning. You can't recover. You can't let God restore what the locusts have eaten. Those are some of the scriptures God uses to describe someone whose life is being transformed and brought back to the way God wanted it to be. You can't have that happen in your life if you're still sinning. If, if you're worried about all the, the, the weeds in my garden or in your garden of your heart or of your life or whatever, you got to stop planting weed seeds. You know, quit blowing the dandelions all over your, your crops. It's time to stop that. That's the first thing they have to do. Levites, you can't help the people. You can't minister to God on behalf of the people unless you sanctify yourselves first. Then I want you to sanctify the house of the Lord God. That place needs to be a place where people can come and they know that they're going to see the Lord or, or experience the worship of God. It has to be that way. It, it's not meant for these other things. It's not, it's not meant for, and I laugh because I've got a story that just came to mind and I probably can't share it because it has to do with Beth Moore, but because um, that is just taboo to talk about her, but... Well, here I go, I guess. Just read the article. And I don't know if you know how she started. She's left the Southern Baptist Convention, by the way, because of her views, certain views that she has. And she's led many of her people that follow her, many of the ladies that follow her, she's led them away as well. It started with an aerobics class at church. Did you know that's how she started? An aerobics class at church. 
What's wrong with an aerobics class at church? Nothing, probably. Nothing. Except it developed into something else, and it went further, and fame, and these things began to build up, and she became more popular than the church herself, itself, and people were more enthralled with her than it was, and it got a hold of her, honestly. And I, and I know this to be true because most of what she says is okay, but by the end of the day, what started off as something innocent developed into something where she has millions of followers and she's left the SBC and many, many have followed her out of it. So was that worth it? Was the aerobics class worth it? To the point where it seemed harmless, it seemed great. There were so many people touched, so many lives blessed. Oh, look at that. Only, only God's going to know how she's impacted the. Boy, you got to be careful. The house of the Lord is meant to worship in, it's meant to seek the Lord. And it's interesting how that harmless little thing or this harmless little thing can turn into something, well, that nobody intended but was twisted and used to bring about a a catastrophe. One of the final points in the in the in the article was this cuz I know that I know that people are going, "Well, I don't know. I've I've read her stuff and it's really solid. It's hold on." Um I have to start off with this. The first time I encountered Beth Moore was at a concert, a 3-day concert down in Texas that I took many of our people to. Uh, college students to way back in the day down in Texas. And while we were all setting up our tents and everything that night, there's, the hills are covered with tents. I mean, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people here at this thing, like a Woodstock kind of thing for Christians. Okay. So we went. And that night, huge storm rolled in while everybody was setting up tents. Huge storm came in. And uh, lightning struck over here and, and, and took seven people to the hospital that were setting up their tents and everything like that. Well, Beth wasn't there for the storm. Beth came in, flew in the next day, and began to describe this storm as God showing up. God's power is here. God has showed up in this place. I'm like, ma'am, you weren't here. God did not strike those seven people with lightning. That wasn't the Lord. That was a different side of things. That was the other side. That was the storm that Jesus had to rebuke. What was happening here was trying to stop us from worshiping God on this place with all of these people. And you've attributed this storm to God, and you're wrong. And all of a sudden, I'm standing there, a pastor going, I brought these people to listen to this person. Everything else she said was right from then on. I mean, it was close. But she totally misunderstood. Spiritually, she had no discernment about that. And I just put a check in my heart. Wait a minute. So in this article that I just read, that I didn't mean to talk about this morning, but here it goes. She's decided to move to another denomination. And I'm not going to name them, but she picked two denominations that are absolutely incompatible with Baptist teaching. They don't believe in being born again. They don't believe you need to be baptized. They think that infant baptism is your way to salvation and that the priest can, pa- or the, the pastor or the whatever they call him can transfer his faith to the baby. That tells me something. You don't understand doctrine. You can't switch from this to go to these two. What you looked for, what she's looking for, is a mega. Because SBC is mega. And I have a mega platform, so I need a mega denomination. It's going to mega help me. Okay, didn't mean to get off on that, but I'm telling you, 
It's just an aerobics class. It's just a little this. It's just a little that. You best be solid. And we don't need that. Now, I bring this up because sanctify yourselves, sanctify the house of the Lord, and carry out the rubbish of the holy place so that people can come in and worship God and seek God and do what they're supposed to do at church. To do that in the sanctuary. It's supposed to be a place of prayer. First thing Jesus did was to flip the tables because they had incrementally moved into the court of the Gentiles and began to change money there. Bad. And he explains why this happened. Our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God. Our fathers have forsaken him, have turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord, and they turned their backs on him. They have also shut up the doors of the vestibule, put out the lamps. They've actually just shut down worship. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord fell upon Judah and Jerusalem. And he has given them up to trouble, to desolation, to jeering. The whole world is watching us, he says. And they're laughing at us. And that's, that's not why we're doing what we're doing. But what you thought was going to help you with the rest of the world, because remember how that started? We want to be like the rest of the world. We want to worship gods like the rest of the world. We want to do all these other things like the rest of the world. Well, now they're laughing at you. You think of the party girl in high school that thought she was going to get more attention or more popular if she just do what the boys wanted her to do and by the end of it no she just got her reputation for that she became no more popular than for that purpose and that's what the nation of israel has done they prostituted themselves to these other gods and it's they're laughing at them they're making fun of them now they're not one of the gang they're not one of the guys they're the fools of the world in James chapter 4, our brother James, he lays it out. Chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. Which is what this king's trying to do. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I laugh because that's, that's how I like to be talked to. What are you doing? You're double-minded. You can't go over there and do that and then come over here and worship God. That, those, those are incompatible. Stop being double-minded. Be single-minded. Just God. Quit being this wishy-washy, back-and-forth, flip-floppy person in your heart. Cleanse your hearts. Purify. This is a decision you make. He's, literally, he's calling them out. Just stop it. Well, I can't. You can and James doesn't listen to that. He just says, you just need to stop it. Take out the rubbish. Remove it from the holy place. He says, lament and mourn and weep over your sin. Now, after that, he says this. He, he's good to fill it in here with the, with, the, with the results. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and, and he'll lift you up. Because that's what you want anyway. Laughing it off, going further into sin, justifying it in your minds doesn't make it any better. You've got to take out the garbage. And so this wonderful king is beginning to do that. Let's get this place straightened out. Verse 10, now, it is in my heart, he says, to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel, that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons, do not be negligent now. 
For the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, that you should minister to him and burn incense. I've circled that in my Bible because I'm a pastor. I take that to heart. But that doesn't mean it's not for everybody in this room because he calls us kings and priests, every one of us. And I want you to see something here. The words I've underlined are, now it's in my heart. The king says, it's in my heart to make a covenant with God. And he knows he can't do that without the priests doing what they need to do. But they're not there. They're absent from their role. They're not fulfilling what they're, they're negligent. Pastors can become negligent in what they're called to do. And I think this year shows and has shown us a lot of negligent pastors out there. More worried about the physical than they are the spiritual. More worried about this, that, or the other thing than the actual ministering and being available for people. What if they had purposed in their heart to make a covenant with the Lord, but the pastors are negligent. They're not there to help them or open or let people come. We worry too much about the physical. As pastors, that's not what we're called to do. My only concern is I'm a, I'm a spiritual physician underneath the great physician. That's what I'm called to do. I'll pray for you to get healed. I'll pray for this. I'll pray for that, whatever. But I'm more concerned with your heart than I am your cancer. Far more concerned with your relationship with God than any other physical ailment you may have because that's all that matters in eternity is your relationship with God. It's in my heart to make a covenant, but I can't without you there. You guys are being negligent. You were called and chosen to stand and serve before the Lord and to burn incense to him and to pray. You should minister. I take that to heart. In Zechariah eleven seventeen, the prophet warns about those that aren't taking care of the flock. Woe to the worthless shepherds who leaves the flock. A sword shall be against his arm, against his right eye. His arm shall completely wither and his right eye shall be totally blinded. Now, I don't know what he's getting at there with just the right arms and the right eyes, some sort of stroke, some sort of whatever, but you're impotent. That's your, that's your strength. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. There's symbolism there. He's not literally sitting there. They're on the same throne in a lot of passages. It's hard to distinguish when you talk about the Trinity, but when he talks about Jesus' role, he's the right hand of the Father. And these guys have lost their right eye and they've lost their right arm. And it's, it's affected the world. It's affected their, the people they're supposed to be ministering to. Woe to the, worship, to the worthless shepherd. Don't be a worthless shepherd. And since every one of us is called to be a king and a priest, I just want to take, take that to heart. The people around you that God has brought into your life, whether that's in work or whether that's in family relationships or friendships or whatever, um, consider those people sheep, people that need to be cared for and taken care of. That one person can't take care of all the people. I'll take care of the people in this room and the people I meet, but I can't meet the people that you're meeting, and I can't minister to the people. That's, it's all of our responsibility. And, and we're called not to be worthless shepherds in that case, to lead them to the Lord, to talk about the Lord, to share with them. They don't need anything else from me. I could give them advice on plumbing or electricity, and probably back up and probably blow a fuse. But I could give the advice. That's not what they need from me. They need the Lord. 
And so he warns us against that, to not be those worthless shepherds. Verse 12, so then these Levites arose, Mahath, son of Amasiah, Joel, or Joel, the son of Azariah, the son of the Kohathites, the sons of uh, Mirari, Kish, the son of Abdi, and Azariah, the son of Jehalel, uh, of the Gershonites, uh, Joah, the son of Zima, and Eden, the son of Joah, uh, of the sons of uh, Elisaphim, uh, Shimri, and Jael, and the sons of Asaph, Zechariah, and Madaniah, of the sons of Haman, Jehiel, and Shimei, and the sons of uh, Jeduthun, uh, Shimei, and Uziel. And they gathered, so all these guys, all these Levites and priests gathered uh, their brethren, sanctified themselves, they set themselves apart, and went according uh, to the commandment of the king at the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. Then the priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it and brought out all the debris that they found in the temple of the Lord to the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it out and carried it to the brick Kidron. So there's this, there's this, you know, have you ever seen them carry sandbags and they're doing this? And so that's what they're doing. They're just moving all the garbage out, just taking that garbage out, you know. We, we're in the process of moving right now and getting putting stuff in storage. And, um, and Jenny had the thought, there's, there's a lamp, there are a couple lamps that we're not interested in anymore. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, those are a couple good lamps, you know. I don't want them. I don't want, I don't want them in the house. I don't, I just, let's just get rid of them. Let's say, well, wait a minute. Let's put them in storage, you know, and, and, and then we'll give them away to somebody maybe later on. And we just might run in and she's just looking at me. And I'm like, well, okay. And after a while, I got to thinking. I said, you know, you're right. I know every day, you know. Um, she goes, I just don't want to deal with it later on. Let's just get rid of it. And, and, and so as I'm studying this morning and going over this again, I can see these guys. I wonder if any of them were looking down at the stuff saying, well, we might need this later on, you know? Man, when it comes to the rubbish of our hearts and the garbage that has nothing to do with God, 86 it. Is that what they say? 86? Get rid of it. Put it in the circular file. There's that, that's a trash can. There's nothing, that's what we call the military. Put that in the circular files right over there. It's trash can. Don't, don't mourn over it. Don't figure out how you might be able to use it later on. It's garbage. Throw it away, you know. Um, and so as these guys are handing this stuff out, I just wonder if any of them went, I'm going to put this in my tent, you know. Don't put that in your tent. Take it out to the valley and burn it. Get rid of this garbage. Don't make a friends with it. So they did. They got this train going. They're getting rid of everything. Now, they began to sanctify on the first day of the first month. That's, that's fast. And on the eighth day of the month, they came to the vestibule of the Lord. So it took a while to dig their way into this place. So they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days. So everything was cleaned out. They began to get it all ready and cleaned up and swept. And on the 16th day of the first month, they finished. They finished. That's a fast. Two and a half weeks into his administration, and man, the house of the Lord is open and ready for business. I love it. Then they went in uh, to King Hezekiah and said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord, the altar of the burnt offerings with, its, with all its articles, and the table of the showbread and all its articles. Moreover, all the articles which King Ahaz in his reign had cast aside in his transgression. We have prepared and sanctified, and there they are before the altar of the Lord. There they are. We're all set. 
Um, we're ready to go. We're ready to be kings and priests. Our, our house is cleansed. The place is available. And as you think about us being kings and priests and our hearts, it's, it's rapid. I mean, at the end of this, the very last word of this chapter that we're going to read here, it says, and it happens suddenly. Suddenly. They woke up. They were an apostate nation. Two weeks later, they are back on track. I mean, it was sudden. It was radical, you know? Immediately back with the Lord. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, John, the writer, speaking of Jesus, says, And he has made us, all the people, kings and priests, to his God and Father, and to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Revelation 5.10, four chapters later, And have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. We need to walk that way. Not arrogantly, obviously, not pridefully, because he finishes up to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. But remember our roles and to not shirk our responsibilities, you know, and to carry ourselves like that. Verse 20. Then King Hezekiah rose early and gathered the rulers of the city. Got the priests sanctified, the house is open. Let's get the rulers. And they went up to the house of the Lord. This is the first offering we talked about, the sin offering They're gonna have, that has to be done first. And they brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, and seven male goats for, the sin off, for a sin offering for the kingdom, for the sanctuary, and for Judah. All three of those things. We're going to confess our sin before God. We're going to lay it before him. And we're going to acknowledge it as sin. And we're going to offer up the sacrifice for that sin. Then he commanded the priests, the sons of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of the Lord. So they killed the bulls, and the priests received the blood and sprinkled it on the altar. Likewise, they killed the rams and sprinkled the blood on the altar. They also killed the lambs and sprinkled the blood on the altar. They brought out male goats for the sin offering before the king and the assembly, and they laid their hands on them. And the priests killed them, and uh, and they uh, presented their blood on the altars as a sin offering to make an atonement for all Israel. For the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering be made for all all Israel. Get this done. Not only is this what God prescribes for us and for these folks to do first, um, it's it's the first step for us to have that openness to what's coming next. See, I can't jump to sacrifice number three the fellowship or the peace offering because I know in my heart I haven't taken care of the things I need to take care of. So the conversation's awkward with God. If I skip the confession, if I skip the sin offering in my life with God and I go right to just hanging out and fellowshipping, it's an awkward conversation because I know that's the elephant in the room, you know. I know we're not talking about what needs to be talking about. So I'm asking for this, or I'm talking about this, and oh, God, help me with this. And I know very well I need to confess this sin to him. I need to get rid of this. I need to carry out this garbage. He's already shown me that by his Holy Spirit. And so for me to bypass that and say, I'll get to it later and maybe work over here, and I'll work on this part of my life, and we'll we'll take care of that sin. It can't. I've got to deal with this so that I can have a fresh, clean conscience before the Lord and and boldly come to that throne of grace and mercy in time of need. I need to come with an honest evaluation of myself. And so they're able to do that, and that prepares them for this second offering. Verse 25. And he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with stringed instruments, and with harps, 
according to the commandment of David, of Gad, the king's seer, of, uh, and of Nathan, the prophet. For thus was the commandment of the Lord by his prophet. So when David set this all up, this whole thing, he says, yeah, you've got to have you got to have musicians. And, and it's the priests doing it. It's the Levites of the Levitical tribe. And the Levites stood with the instruments of David um, and the priests with the trumpets. Then Hezekiah commanded them to offer the burnt offering on the altar. And when the burnt offering uh, began, the song of the Lord also began. That's a sanctification. That, that's setting yourself apart. Consecration. With the trumpets and the instruments of David and king of Israel. Uh, so all the assembly worshipped, the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when they had finished offering, the king and all who were present with him bowed and worshipped. Moreover, King Hezekiah and the leaders commanded the Levites to sing praise to the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph, the seer. And so they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed their heads and worshipped. There's a lot going on when we sing. There's a lot going on when we sing. It's a consecrating event. It's a, it's a submission thing. It's, a, it's, a, it's an act of sacrifice. The sacrifices of praises that we offer up to the Lord. There's a lot going on. It's not something we can skip or bypass. I don't care how bad your voice is or how uncomfortable you are singing. It's important to do it. If it's humbling, great. I mean, there couldn't be a better way then to worship the Lord than through humble singing and to lift up and worship God um, and sing these songs to Him. Um, you sang songs to your kids, you know, because you loved them and you wanted them to have peace. And now God's called us to do the same thing, to sing back to the Lord. You know, we, we're, we really are the only group on the earth that sing. You know, I know that we call birds singing. It's not. It's chirping. It's, it's like Morse code. It's how they talk. And, and I know that they declare the, the glory of God just by their existence, but they don't purposely choose in their hearts or in their minds to come up with words to glorify God and to thank Him for all that He's done. You know, they just don't. Only we do that. We're not animals. We're people created to worship. And with that gift that God's given us, we have to know that He doesn't just give us gifts in case you want to ever use them. They're meant to be used. And when we're not using them, we're, we're hurting ourselves. We don't get the benefits of having and using the things that God's given us, you know? I think one of the most difficult things for me to ever... I know that people have birds and... I'm going to hit everybody today, I guess, but um, I, love, I love birds. I just do. I don't know what it is. They're kind of mean to each other and nasty. If you don't put out enough bird seed, they'll peck each other. They'll hurt each other. They'll run each other off. So I put out tons and tons of bird seeds. It's kind of trashy in our driveway, but that's all right. So there's plenty, and they still kind of fight. So all that to be said, I like birds regardless of their problems that they have. <laughs> I try to help them, but they don't listen. But when I see a bird in a cage, it just frustrates me. And, and I'm not blaming. If you have a bird in a cage, eat it for all I care. I don't, I don't care what you do with the bird. I, I'm not that kind of person. But what I see that you have a bird or has the ability for flight and the wings are clipped and put into a cage, that's got to be the most... What a horrible thing to be able to fly and then to have that gift or that ability taken away from you to do that. 
Because, I mean, all of us want to fly. Everybody in this room would love to fly. I know that for a fact. I, even if you're afraid of heights, Rod, you could fly really, really low, you know. <laughs> but still, flying would be great, you know. And to have that ability and to not use it and, or be able to use it. And I don't think we understand what gift of singing is. That's it. To be able to sing out praises to God. To give him back something that can only be used and should probably only be used just for that, you know. We're missing out on something amazing. We clip our own wings. We put ourselves in cages and we just don't do it, you know. Mm, I encourage you to sing. Sing. So they do. They consecrate him. They're all set. Verse 31. Then Hezekiah answered and said, Now that you have consecrated yourselves to the Lord, come near and bring sacrifices and thank, uh, thank offerings. I, I keep wanting to say thanksgiving offerings. You're a thankful. It's thank offerings into the house of the Lord. So that's the, that's the third thing. We've consecrated. We offered up the sin offering. Um, not in that order, but uh, now we're going to do, um, we're going to do these thanksgiving offerings, which are the peace offerings. Um, so the assembly brought in sacrifices and thank offerings. And as many as were of a willing heart, this is optional. First two are required, you know. But this third one is whoever had a willing heart brought burnt offerings. And the number of the burnt offerings which the assembly brought was 70 bulls, 100 rams, and 200 lambs. All these were for burnt offerings to the Lord. The consecrated things were 600 bulls and 3,000 sheep. But the priests were too few so that they could not skin all the burnt offerings. That's part of the preparation. Those guys were the chief butchers, man. They had to cut everything up just right. Not enough of them. Can't keep up with the demand. Um, but the priests were too few so that they could not skin all the burnt offerings. Therefore, their brethren, the Levites, helped them until the work was ended and until uh, the other priests had sanctified themselves. For the Levites were more diligent in sanctifying themselves than the priests. Also, the burnt offerings were in abundance with the fat of the peace offerings and the drink offerings for every burnt offering. So it's a huge celebration. This is the offering that you get to eat part of, if you don't remember. The first one, the sin offering, not yours. You don't get any of it. The second one, the consecration offering, nope, nope. It's all for him. It's the third one that we get to actually sit down and have that fellowship that the other two provided for us. You get to eat a meal with God. You get to share in this and be a part of that and have that peace that surpasses understanding from God. Beautiful. And so we conclude with this today. So the service of the house of the Lord was set in order. Then Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced that God had prepared the people since the events took place so suddenly, so suddenly, so fast. I love it. Radical salvation, radical change of life, uh, radical change of an entire country to come back to the Lord. Now, we have, uh, I think, another chapter and a half or two chapters of Hezekiah I think, let's see. Yeah, he dies in 32. No, yeah, 32 he dies. So we have 30 and 31 will still be in Hezekiah and part of 32 and everything. So um, look look for this. And so we've had this wonderful start. I'm just telling you this ahead of time. This is one of those Sundays that's like, yeah, you know, that's encouraging. This is great. Well, a lot of problems come up. Not necessarily his, but you can watch him as a real man just sitting there with a crown on his head for, for whatever reason, you know, just try to figure it out and stay true to God at the same time, you know, 
And uh, I think you really enjoy the next two chapters. We're going to have communion now. Um, I guess I forgot today was communion Sunday. Sorry. That worked out great. I'm five minutes early. So God knew. God knew. Um, this is something that's been provided for us. This is, this is really a peace offering in the sense. It's all of them wrapped up, but thank you. Um, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, they were having the Passover meal, which is coming up, by the way, fast. Easter's coming quick. I didn't realize it was the first Sunday in April. Um, so they're having this meal together, and they're thinking about what it means and the, and the escape from Egypt, and, or the deliverance from Egypt. They really don't have to escape. They were let go and told to go. And they're thinking about all these things that they meant, the lamb that they were eating, the cup they were drinking, the bread, the the ceremony of it all, to remember what God had done and how he had provided a way for them to escape the, the grip of the world, of Egypt, the slavery that they were in. They were, they're told to remember all that. And in the middle of this meal, or towards the end of it, I guess, Jesus took the bread that they were eating and he broke it and he gave thanks to God for the bread and, and for providing it and all that. But he said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you eat this bread, do this in remembrance of me. And so now everybody that was thinking about what happened and how they were delivered from Egypt is now thinking about Jesus dying on the cross, not really understanding what he was saying, but that his broken body was going to do the same thing for them and has done the same thing for us. It has delivered us from Egypt, from the world, from slavery, from our sin that kept us in bondage. Later on, he took the cup and he blessed it and he gave thanks for it and, uh, he told the disciples, take and drink. This is my blood shed for you. The blood of the new covenant. New covenant, you know. The old covenant was we keep the law and we're good. If we don't keep the law, it's bad. This is a new covenant, my blood. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me, that my blood is going to be shed for your sins. In other words, the old covenant warned, if you don't, then you have to offer up animal sacrifices to cover over your sins. I am that sacrifice for you this lamb that we're eating, that you applied the blood back in the day to the doorposts of the, of the homes when you're in Egypt, that's what you're going to do with me in your life. You're going to take my blood, and you're going to apply it to the doorposts of your heart, and I'm going to save you just like they were saved. That angel of death's going to pass by you just like it passed by them, and they'd be thinking about all this stuff, you know. What a moment. And so he calls us to do this. Even Acts 2.42 tells us that the church continued to remember what that night and this meal that we're sharing in 2,000 years later. And so as we hold these things in our hand, it's important to remember what they went through, but also what you've gone through. As a believer in Jesus, Jesus' broken body has been broken instead of yours. His death on the cross was for you. And that your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. And also the blood, the cup that we're drinking here, the representation of Jesus' blood, that it was shed for us. And my blood isn't going to have to be shed, and he was the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. It's taken away, not just covered up. He doesn't remember it anymore. Like we sang, he, when we think of the cross and, and all that happened there, all God sees is the empty tomb, the victory, the risen Savior, the accepted sacrifice. When he said it is finished, <laughs> It's a big statement. All the sins of the world 
are forgiven. It is finished. The last sacrifice took place at the cross. No more sacrifices can be made or need to be made. It's done. And we reap the benefits of that. So this morning we remember Jesus and what he's done for us. Lord, we thank you for this. We thank you that we're, we're cleansed. That everything we've ever done has been forgotten and forgiven. And you remember our sins no more. And so, Lord, we, we honor you. We give you all the glory, all the praise, all the worship you deserve for what you've done for us. Our, our eternity is set and secure with you. Um, you're preparing a place for us. You're going to return and take us to that place, and we can't, we can't hardly wait. We will, and we'll be about your business until you get here, but, boy, we can't hardly wait to be taken home to be with you. And so we thank you for this. We thank you for this remembrance. It's going to help us. It's going to help us this week. It's like singing. We don't know how it helps, but it does help. We know that this helps us to leave this place with a clean conscience, with a, with a peace that can only come from this meal right here. And so help us to minister to the world around us that so desperately needs this peace that we have. Not just the absence of conflict, but a, a relationship with you. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name. If you're at home and you're watching this or wherever you may be, driving or whatever, hopefully pulled over. That's all right if you're not. It's up to you. Um, we've always encouraged you. You can do this at home. You don't have to be here enjoying this with us, although we, we miss you and we, we hope someday you'll be able to do that again. But um, you can just grab something out of the fridge and grab a piece of bread and have this time with the Lord yourself. You, know? you don't have to have this. That being said... I think today, let's fill everything up again after the second service, Toby. And we'll just leave the church open today. And if you feel comfortable or you want to, we'll have that table sitting out by the, by the door. And if you want to just come on your own and grab a piece of bread and, and some juice and have that time with the Lord here in the sanctuary, it'll be open for you and available for you. Um, but some people like that and need that, and that's good. So we'll have the place open all day. Um, the communion will be set up, and you're welcome to to partake and, and, and have it right here in, in this place. So, Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your encouragement. Lord, help us to be diligent um, with our own hearts. And if we see any rubbish, if we see any garbage, Lord, help us not to let it pile up. Let's help us to get rid of that sin as fast as we can, to carry it out, make no room for it, don't put it in storage, just completely get rid of it. And... Um, that our house can be clean, your house, our hearts, your house can be clean. And you're free and comfortable there, Lord. Well, bless these folks as they go today. I pray that you'd um, just bless this. Thank you for the rain, this beautiful, gentle rain that we're getting. That's just ground just soaking it up, this beautiful springtime that we're having. And um, we thank you for it. We pray the same for our own hearts. We'd have that cleansing, that time with you, that refreshment. Um, and that we'd be ready for whatever you have for us this week. The people you want us to minister to. Help us not to neglect our duties, Lord. To be a blessing to those around us. To represent you properly. And to speak your name. To tell people about you and what you've done for us. Bless these folks as they go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.